Our Bible readings up there. It's a very short one today. Um, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Thanks, Deb. If you haven't grabbed your Bible yet, grab it now and open up to Hebrews 4. You've got an outline to see where we're going as we continue to work through uh, Hebrews. Uh, we're going to flick around a bit, so it'd be great if you have your Bible. I'm going to kick this over. It was just a matter of time. Okay. Let me just pray, and then let's uh, think about this part of God's Word. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, we just... Uh, are so thankful that we can know you, that you've made yourself known to us, that you've given us your word, that you have given us so many things to help us understand you and what you have done and what you will do, uh, what's gone in the past, what you're doing in the present and what will happen in the future. Uh, we pray, Lord, now that you would speak to us and that you would give us great confidence in Jesus as our high priest. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, do you know why we really shouldn't call full-time ministers priests? Um, or anyone, for that matter. Uh, let's think about why, why that matters, um, and why we should care. To understand that, we do need to understand a bit of the Old Testament and how the Old Testament priesthood and sacrificial system worked. In the Old Testament, there were priests. Uh, the priest began with Aaron. He was the first priest. He was the brother of Moses. Uh, God appointed him. He was from the tribe of Levi. And so all priests had to be from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 sons of Israel, Jacob. And so the book that was written that God gave to us about how the priesthood was run, how the sacrificial system was to run, what their job was, was called Leviticus. Leviticus, Levi's from the tribe of Levi, of which Aaron was one. Uh, uh, Aaron's descendants as Levites, their job was primarily to stand as mediators between God and man. The little simple skit that Blake worked out was a beauty, wasn't it? It was really they stood in between. You couldn't go directly to God. There was someone, but it wasn't just communication. It was we needed forgiveness. We had to go God's way to a person in the Old Testament who would often offer the sacrifice for us. That sort of thing is a go-between between us and God. They had to do it the way God said. They had to go to the temple. And so you, the context of Hebrews is this whole Old Testament system of, um, of worship, of response to God, of connecting with God, of going to God in the way that he asked. Uh, they did more than just offer the sacrifices. Uh, they also were to teach people how to live with God day by day as well as how to approach him for forgiveness and connection with him. Um, in the end, they were all modelling stuff to us. That is, they were saved from Egypt 
uh, slavery in Egypt, which in the end was a model to us of being saved from slavery to sin. And when we come and we think about being saved from sin, the sacrificial system was to remind us that God required death for sin. And he provided uh, that substitute for us so that people could approach him, that the price could be paid and people could live with him. That's in the background of uh, what we're looking at Hebrews, uh, in the book of Hebrews, about approaching him. So to be a priest, you had to be from the tribe of Levi, like Aaron. But what tribe did Jesus come from? Judah. How can Jesus be a priest when he doesn't come from the tribe of Levi? We know Jesus is a king because he is from Judah in the line of David. We know Jesus is a prophet like Moses and he spoke for God. But how can he be the priest? He's the ultimate king and prophet and priest. But how can he be a priest if he's not from Levi? That's a serious issue in the Bible theologically and for the people of the time. And what God does through the author of Hebrews is what he does is he tells us is that Jesus is a priest, not in the order of Levi, but in the order of Melchizedek. There's another order. And so what he's saying from that is that Jesus is a far better priest than the Levite priest, than the Old Testament priesthood. Now, I ask the question just first off, why we shouldn't call people priests? Before I get into the passage, let me give you the quick answer, sort of. Just so you hear it all and you can ask me questions about it later. The first answer is, uh, yes, the Old Testament had priests. Yes, they did. But they were really ultimately only there to help us understand Jesus when he turned up. So we would understand that he was the priest and he was the sacrifice and he was the temple. All of that was to help us to understand Jesus and what he was doing when he turned up. And so, yes, there were priests in the Old Testament, but once Jesus turned up, that was finished. Yes, we, followers of Jesus, are called priests in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He's talking about us. A holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Yes, we are all priests in that sense. This means we can help people with God, we can call, we can represent God to people, tell them what he said, and we are to joyfully tell them of our salvation, joyfully tell them of what Jesus has done on the cross in his death and resurrection for us. We are to be someone who proclaims the praises of the one who, as Brooke did today, and wasn't that fantastic? Uh, but we are not mediators of God's forgiveness. We don't dish it out. We don't control forgiveness in any way. No minister, no person does. Our forgiveness is in God's hands and there is no one who has any control over it all. There are no priests today, no one that we have to go to, no one who can. Um, and so if you want to call people priests, you have to call everyone priests. But really that's going to be weird and you're going to have to do a lot of explaining. Yes, the Anglican prayer book calls ordained ministers priests, but they mean a Greek word for elder, presbyteros. But in the end, it's confusing. They're saying we use the word, but we don't mean the word. 
And it gets a lot of people confused and it's a misunderstanding. In the end, it's wrong and unhelpful to use that to describe a minister's job in any way, form or fashion. Why? Well, because Jesus is the only mediator, the only priest, the best priest, the high priest that we will ever see or ever need. And so 1 Timothy 2.5, for an example. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Yes, we need a priest. Yes, we need a high priest. Yes, we need what Jesus did. Yes, we need a sacrifice, but it was all Jesus. He's done it. One priest for all. He has done it. We don't need to go to sinful humans to intercede for us. We can't call on sinful humans to help us. We have Jesus. There is no other. And that's what we see in our passage. So look at chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. And if you're in your notes, we have a high... Sorry. We have a high priest. So verse 14. Therefore, since we have a high priest... We don't need human priests. We don't need the Old Testament priests. We don't need any form of priest because we already have one in Jesus. We have a great high priest. We need one and we have one. He is the one. We don't need any sinful humans to represent us or approach God or have control over our approaching to him. Jesus is a, next one, an eternal high priest. Um, who is the source of eternal salvation. So have a look at chapter 5, verse 9. Flip over there, 9 and 10. After he was perfected, Jesus, that is, after he finished his work on the cross in his death and resurrection, when he ascended back to heaven and gone into heaven, not in behind the curtain, when he had perfected, when he had finished, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is a priest, but not in the Levitical order, but in the order of Melchizedek. He is someone who is eternal and who is the source of eternal salvation. Now, the Melchizedek bit is a bit confusing uh, to our, our ears first off. But because it's important that Jesus is a priest... Uh, what we're being reminded is God set up in the Old Testament another way of being a priest. You had this mysterious and, and weird and, and funny guy who turns up in the Old Testament at the time of Abraham. Abraham, who God promises to fix the whole problem of the world and bless the whole world, to fix the problem of sin, Abraham goes through a bit of, has to have a bit of a fight and a bit of a war, uh, and as he comes back, he goes past Jerusalem called Salem then and out comes this king of Salem called Melchizedek and Abraham submits to him, gives him a tithe, 10% of what he took, bows before him and submits to him and it's just this weird story and off it goes and we never hear about him again. But he is a priest of the Most High God who Abraham submits to. And so what's happening is he's a guy who turns up with no family history, no beginning, no end, and Abraham, who is really the father of the Israelites in that sense, submits to him. 
And so what this is saying is a way of saying that Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek is to say that he's a priest that is eternal, who has no start and end, and that he is perfect and he is to be submitted to. And so he's a way of saying Jesus is an eternal, perfect, perfect priest. And so he is a priest, and so he is a king, he's a prophet, and he is a priest. And his priesthood is superior to the Old Testament priesthood. It supersedes the Old Testament priesthood. It's so much better because he is in this order. It is eternal, and he is able to give eternal source of salvation to all who would come to him. So it would be silly to go back to the Old Testament priesthood now that the eternal one has come, now that the one who has fulfilled it all, now who the one who the Old Testament prophecies and, and uh, sacrifices and priesthood were pointing to, now that he's turned up, it would be silly to go back there, one, because it's obsolete, one, because now it doesn't work anymore, but two, because now the one that it's pointed to has turned up, the one who does it perfectly internally and who is the source of salvation. And so we have one mediator, and so we would be silly to go back there or to have some form of mediatorial way of coming towards God because we now have our high priest who has done it all for us. And so Jesus is the eternal priest, the source of all salvation. We don't go back to the old, we go to the new because look at what we've got. Did you notice that little challenging line in though when I read it though? Um, he is the source of eternal salvation, 5 verse 9, for all who obey him. For all who obey him. Jesus' salvation is not for everyone. It's for everyone who submits to him. Obedience here is like Abraham bending his knee and giving his 10%, his tithe to uh, the king of Salem. It is the, in Hebrews, coming to Jesus, submitting to Jesus, trusting Jesus, following Jesus. The word obedience is a great way of saying, I am not ignoring him. Does that make sense? And so his forgiveness is for everyone who comes to Jesus. It's not the people who don't come to Jesus. What is the characteristic of those who have submitted to Jesus? It is an attitude of obedience. The new covenant, which we'll get to in a second, gives us a new heart that isn't stubborn to God, but has a soft heart to God. Our obedience doesn't save us, but our obedience shows that we are saved and we have come to the one who is the eternal source of salvation. Which leads us from, it's an eternal, he's an eternal high priest, but next stop point, he is a better high priest because he is an eternal priest with a better covenant, a better promise. Flip over to chapter 7, verse 22. Chapter 7, verse 22. So Jesus has, become, has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. 
the promise of the new covenant, the new testament, now Jesus has turned up, is so much better than the old covenant, the old promise, the shadows, the pointers, now that Jesus has turned up. In the old testament, it was conditional on your response. In the new testament, it's conditional on Jesus and his response, not on yours. In the new testament, Jesus becomes our high priest who obeys for us who takes his perfect sacrifice to the cross for us. He's the one who does that forever and ever and ever. All those who join him have him who has risen from the dead, been accepted by the Father, gone into heaven, not through the curtain into the model of heaven on earth in the temple, but he has gone into God the Father's presence in heaven. He's gone into heaven forever and he lives in there to intercede for us forever. And so it is a better covenant because he lives forever. He intercedes forever for those who are his. He has got rid of our sin and he will stand up for us in the Father's presence forever and ever and ever and ever. There's nothing better than having Jesus praying for you, being for you in God's presence forever and ever and ever and ever and he'll never stop. And so we can be absolutely guaranteed that we can be with him forever. All we have to do is come to him. All we have to do is join him. He's the one who saves us. And as we read our Bibles, we find out it's even him who draws us, isn't it? He will guarantee us. The Old Testament sacrifices were temporary and endless and repeated forever and ever. But when Jesus comes, he finishes the Old Testament. There's no more of that sort of worship There's no more of uh, that sacrificial system. There's no more Old Testament because when he came, he did it once for all. Verse 27 of chapter 7. He, Jesus, doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins, then for those of the people. He did this once for all. When he offered himself... For the law appoints high priests, men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Jesus did it all, once for all, totally and completely for those who make Jesus their high priest, for those who obey him, for those who come to him, for those who trust him, for those who follow him. Jesus is our eternal priest and the guarantee of such a better promise. You never quite knew in the old never quite knew in the Old Testament if you were forgiven. You never quite knew because it was only for direct sins. But we now know that our sins are completely forgiven by Jesus, the high priest who offered his perfect sacrifice, who died and rose, and who is now at the right hand side of the Father. We all need a priest. We all need a high priest. We all need Jesus. And not only does the Father provide him, he has done it all for us. It's what we need and it's what God has given us. We do have a priest, but it's Jesus and he's done it all for us. He is on our side forever, defending us. It's great news, but there's a threat There's a danger. Now, those of you who know Hebrews know that 
in our section between 4 and 7 is one of the most uncomfortable passages till you get your head around it that the Bible has or Hebrews has. There's a threat, he wants to say, to us enjoying the high priesthood of Jesus. There's a threat to us being in heaven. There's a threat. And the threat is the serious problem of immaturity and laziness. The serious problem and threat of immaturity and laziness. Have a look at verse 11 of chapter 5 as we read it. We have a great deal to say about this and it's difficult to explain it since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers about Jesus being the high priest who has done it all for you and that the Old Testament is gone and there's no more of that, it's just Jesus. You need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the more mature, for those whose senses have been trained uh, to distinguish between good and evil. That is, you understand how Jesus is our high priest and we need no one else. Therefore, chapter 6 verse 1, leaving the elementary message about the Messiah, let us go on to maturity. We've got to mature in understanding, well, let's read it. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, baptisms, laying of hands, the resurrection of dead and eternal judgment. You see, what he's saying is we've got to move on from understanding how someone becomes a Christian and how to identify if someone else is a Christian and that we're to live for eternity, that there's heaven or hell. We've got to move on. That's the basics that we've all got. That's milk. It's all right to have milk when we first start as we hear about the gospel, but we've got to get to know that. We're not going to be, not be lazy about understanding how someone's saved, how to help someone to be saved and identify who is and to live in the light of heaven and hell, of eternity. Everyone's going to live forever. And so they were like babies who could not swallow the teaching about... They should have known this by now, but they were in danger by their immaturity and their laziness. Now, um, the priesthood of Jesus is another way of talking about how someone is saved in Old Testament terms. It's totally fed and reflected on in the New Testament. It's the basic, milky, elementary message that Jesus is our high priest who offers himself as a sacrifice and he forgives everyone who repents and lines up to him as baptism symbolises, who now lives for eternity. That is the basic message. We don't ever move away from it, but we should get it so that we know it and we don't have to keep being taught it. We keep being encouraged by the gospel. That's the gospel. We keep being motivated by the gospel. And we keep teaching new Christians the gospel, non-Christians the gospel. We keep using it, but we shouldn't have to teach ourselves it. We should be using it and applying it with one another. Immaturity to this, to the gospel and how someone's saved and who is so you can identify them is the biggest threat to my and your salvation. It's so serious that God, through the right of the Hebrew, Hebrews, takes it up a notch. And he says this. Have a look at verse 4 of chapter 6. To make sure we're listening. For it is impossible to renew to repentance 
Those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, became companions with the Holy Spirit, tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt for ground that has drunk the rain that has fallen on and on it goes. But did you hear what it said then? This has disturbed people on their first few reads till they come to terms with it because it sounds like people can lose their salvation. He's talking to Christians, he's saying, if you go away, you can't come back. That's how it first reads, till we get in and understand the logic of the argument and the logic of the argument is he's trying to warn people that if you go away from Jesus, there is no one else. If you go back to mediators, if you move to mediators, there is no one else. We know from the Bible that it teaches that no one can lose their faith once you have it because it's God who saves us. It's not saying you can lose your faith. What it is saying and what it is holding up for us, what it's trying to scare us with, what it's trying to get our attention with, is that there is no one else but Jesus the High Priest. We don't have a choice in this matter to start looking to men and women as we can't go to other cities. We can't go back to the Old Testament ways of worship. We can't go somewhere else because if we do, look at verse 6, we re-crucify Christ again and you can't do that. And two, we are holding him up in contempt. So think about this. What is it like, what does Jesus feel when someone who has heard about Jesus then goes back and says it's not good enough, I want to go back to the Old Testament way of doing it. Or I want a mediator. I want church. I want to, I want to have someone helping me with God. What do you think Jesus feels about that? It, it's, it's, a, it's contempt. You see, here's the danger that we... I don't know if we feel this, but the, the, the first recipients of this... I've been in New York, a lot of very Mediterranean people. And, um, um, and um, um, uh, uh, the, the first, the, uh, try, I'll try and put it this way, I think this makes sense. The first readers were Hebrews who had come out of the Jewish system and come out to, I want you to think about how exciting the temple was. When you went to the temple, you knew exactly where you had to go. You knew God was in the Holy of Holies inside behind that big curtain. You knew there was a bunch of priests there. They're offering sacrifices. You had these very clear things of what you had to do. There were trumpets being playing. There were animals being killed. There was barring out the back. There was things. There were, there was, there was this, it was pomp and ceremony and it was all happening and everyone had to go there. So the whole church was there. It was exciting. It was big. But then when you went to the Christian church and you hear about how good Jesus and you hear it and you went along to a Christian gathering, they were meeting in someone's house. They were worshipping and had an invisible priest called Jesus who is now on the right-hand side of the Father. It was all a bit boring. It was all dull in comparison to going to guys in robes and fancy sacrificial death and animals being killed and bells and smells and rituals and things. There was no fancy dress. There's no altars because there's no altars now. There's no, uh, there's, the, the temple is gone. There's no sacrifices because it's been done. There's no fancy buildings. They're just rain showers. There is no temple because we are the temple. The Spirit is in us. Together we are the temple. And it was boring. And at one level, in 
in comparison. And so they were tempted to go back and have a foot in both. I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to go to church. I'm going to say Jesus is the one, but really I'm going to enjoy the whole meditorial Old Testament way. But it's dis- dishonouring to Jesus. It's dishonouring. It's it's contemptible to him it's hurting him because he's done it all and he is so much better than the model that's now obsolete does that make sense and so we can be tempted that we think this is a bit boring what we do because they came to the christian church and they're just singing songs they're praying they're reading the bible they're explaining having a cup of tea and they're all on about jesus and that's all they do but when you go down there they do all this other stuff and when you go there and (laughs) you get the point See, but Jesus has done, we've got to understand Jesus is our high priest who's done it all, who's guaranteeing our eternal salvation, who's at the right-hand side of the Father. Pray, there's nothing better than that. That's why we're on about Jesus, 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 gospel. It's a, it gets boring if you start forgetting who he is and what he's done. And so God is warning them. From 5.11 to 6 at the the end, 5 where it is to the end, that section there, he's warning them, don't go back. Don't go back because that's not salvation. That is obsolete and gone. You can't have a foot in. You can't pretend to have Jesus as your high priest and do something else. Don't trade Jesus for anything else. Don't trade him for men or women. Don't trade him for the Old Testament. Don't trade him for the pomp and ceremony. Hold on to Jesus. There's nothing better. To go away from Jesus is to go away from salvation. We all need, I hope we see, that we all need a priest like Jesus. And we've all got one. We've all got one. He is our high priest. We don't want to be calling sinful humans priests. We don't want to be treating someone like they're between us and God. We can now go straight to him. And what's better? On top of that, what's even better? Have a look at chapter 4. Uh, verse 14, 15. Not only is Jesus our eternal high priest who's better and got a better covenant, he's sympathetic. He knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows how hard it is to live in this world. He knows how tempting it is to go for something more exciting than what we do in church, focusing on Jesus who's done it all. He knows the temptations to not obey and to, he knows it and yet he is sympathetic. So look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weakness, but we have one who has been tested in every way as we were and yet is without sin. He knows what it's like. Verse 16. Therefore, therefore, Here's what we should do. Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. What should we do? Approach God the Father through Jesus. There is no other way. Come to him, our high priest. Go with boldness, confidence, assurance that you are forgiven. Jesus went to the cross as your substitute, your atoning substitute. He took away God's anger from you. He did it. He rose again from the dead to show that it was accepted. He 
ascended to heaven and didn't go into the temple through the curtain. That was symbolic. He went into heaven and he's, he's in there saying, let Greg in, let Greg in, let Greg in. I did it all for him. Here is my, here is my sacrifice and here is my righteousness. Let her in, let him in for those who have come to him and put their trust in him. So approach him with boldness and you will receive mercy. Stop thinking about whether you're forgiven or not. If you've come to Jesus, you are forgiven. And now get on with making sure we know it so we can teach others and helping others with it so they can know it and live for eternity, knowing eternity is coming, both eternal judgment and eternal heaven. We don't need human priests. We don't need human mediators. We have Jesus, our eternal priest in heaven, who's the source of salvation for those who come to him, to Jesus the, the, the priest we need is Jesus. God's provided him. So let's keep approaching with boldness, knowing that those who come to him do receive mercy. Let's help others do the same. That is our maturity and that is our protection. Amen.